Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and tonight I will continue our worldviews series with a look at Islamic theism, or Islam. Uh, Islam is a religion that's actually the second biggest religion in the world. Uh, most estimates would say that within a couple decades it will be the biggest world religion, uh, super common religion of people that you may work with or eat next to or be friends with, and certainly one that's worth our time uh, as Christians to understand better. Certainly there is a, uh, an origin that is very similar with Islam to that of uh, Judaism and also Christianity. Um, share a lot of similar books. We share a conception of God that is similar, although tonight we'll see that it is also very different. But in contrast to last week where we talked about naturalism, or next week where we'll talk about postmodernism or later nihilism, it is obviously more similar to Christianity than those, but it's also uh, unique and there are some contrasts. So I look forward to, to looking at Islamic theism tonight with you a little bit more. So let's go and let's talk about that now. All right, I think I say this on all these, but I am not an Islamic theism scholar, but I'm going to do my best. And uh, if you're interested in more of this, this is uh, from a book called The Universe Next Door, and that's where we're kind of pulling most of this. And so when we're looking at these kind of truth statements of Islam, that's from this book. Okay, so if you are listening to this and you disagree with the things I say, take it up with the book. Um, but I did want to go into a little bit on like the history of Islam and some of the details of Islam in case you're not familiar. Um, I don't know if anybody do like a comparative religions class in college. Some of you, yeah. So we, you know, we brushed over Islam, probably spent a week or two on it. We went to a mosque, but you know, how much do you really know? Uh, you know, we've known, you know, through residency, there was a, a guy a year younger than me who was Muslim and, you know, had some talks with him, studied the Bible actually with David with him and um, really great guy, super sweet guy. and. Some of the issues we'll talk about as we get into this are some of the issues that came up. And so there are a few things that will come up consistently if you're ever studying the Bible with Muslims or you're talking about the differences, sort of like your conversations. If you have a friend that's Jehovah's Witness or you have a friend that's uh, Mormon, there's certain things that kind of come into play and they're, they're sort of related and similar in, with Jewish friends or things like that. So obviously all those religions share a common origin of sorts and a foundation, you could say. It's obviously different. but. Um, they're all bound together, as opposed to like naturalism, which is a whole other stream completely. So I think tonight what's to be appreciated is that, you know, we're trying to see if these things are true or good or beautiful. A lot of these statements are true, good, and beautiful. It's just maybe a, a slightly different thing. Certainly more, in my opinion, true, good, and beautiful than naturalism was last week or two weeks ago. All right, so let's jump in. There we go. Islamic theism. So we'll talk about that little, the little box later. Um, all right, so uh, the creation of Islam dates to 7th century, uh, 610 AD is the assumed date. This is during the lifetime of Muhammad in Mecca, which is modern-day uh, Saudi Arabia. And so in this story, uh, Islam was introduced. Muhammad had an angelic visitation. He memorized the Quran, and then he dictated it to others. Okay, and so, uh, you know, he would, I think it was, he would go up, on a hill to get like a new revelation, so he'd bring down some more information, things like that, uh, that was after the Quran. But um, it's sort of similar to Joseph Smith and seeing, you know, the scripture through his hat and then, you know, writing that down later and things like that. Uh, but definitely, you know, the life of Muhammad is an interesting one for sure. Um, he was really into trade and involved in that sort of thing. Um, but that's where the religion, the religion starts, okay? Um, you've probably heard the phrase Allah Akbar, it's in like lots of movies. Uh, obviously, like hand in hand with all this is like 
kind of what the American conception of a Muslim is, and um, I guess I'd push back against that and say that the majority of Islam is peaceful and you know kind of follows these things, and certainly there's an extreme, just as there is in Christianity. Maybe there's more so with, with Islam, but um, the worst sin, here's a blank here, is a shirk. You may have heard that phrase before. You may not have. There's an Orthodox named Jeff Shirk. I didn't realize his last name was this, but uh, this is a big deal. This is the worst sin. This is like blasphemy in Christianity or something like this. This is like the unforgivable sin. You could say it's a shirk. And this is uh, when you associate or conjoin Allah with any of his creatures, or if you put limits on Allah, um, or if you give characteristics uh, to him that are like that of his creatures. And so it's a reason why it's a big deal why you can't depict Allah in like a photo. And so if you draw like a photo of him or you draw a photo of uh, Muhammad, it's, it's a big deal. It's a shirk. And so if you remember this, uh, the Charlie Hebdo thing in, in Paris where they you know, went in and shot up this you know, cartoon newspaper, this magazine, it's because they kept drawing pictures of Muhammad. And it was, you know, disrespectful stuff, but it was, you know, political satire or religious satire. Uh, but it was a shirk to people that were fundamentalists. So it was a big deal. So you don't draw a picture of Muhammad. And so to, to a true uh, Muslim, they wouldn't have, like, you know, it's not like Catholics that have the Pope up on their, you know, their wall. They don't put Muhammad or Allah on their wall. And the reason being is it's idolatry, Okay. Uh, another big thing with uh, Muslims is uh, the sin of polytheism, and that's also a shirk. And so the, the most common thing that will come up if you're talking with a Muslim is they think that Christians are polytheistic and they're not monotheistic. You hear the same argument with, with like Orthodox Jews. They'll say, you know, we worship one God and you have three gods. And so understanding the triune nature of God and being able to explain that to someone is a big deal, which is complicated. You know, describe the Trinity to somebody and go, you know. It's not easy, um, but that's a big deal with, with both Muslims and, and Jews. All right, so uh, we'll get into this in a little bit, but an intimate and personal relationship with Allah is impossible, okay? All right, let's see. Oh, I did not have it on the board. I'm sorry. So if you want to know how to spell shirk, that must have been somebody was struggling with that. It's S-H-I-R-K. Got it? Okay, good. All right, so we'll look a little bit here at the spread of Islam, which I think is interesting. And so uh, within the next 50 years, it's expected that Islam will grow twice as fast as Christianity and will overtake it as the world's uh, largest religion. So right now it's number two. Uh, it's something like, I don't have the exact numbers, let's say it's like 1.5 billion Christians and there's like 1.1 billion Muslims, or something like that, it's close. Uh, but obviously it's outpacing it like pretty significantly. So. Uh, and most of that's going to be attributed to childbearing, organic, you know, church growth, that sort of thing. Um, so a growth of 1.8 billion Muslims. Um, oh, so I had the numbers wrong. 2015 to over 3 billion in 2060. So it'll double in 30, 40 years, which is pretty crazy. You'll see that some religions are going to shrink, like Buddhism, for whatever reason, is, is shrinking. And then other, other religions are, are seeming to grow. Okay. Can I say something about that? Of course. So I think kind of an interesting thing, we live in like a... A weird moment, especially in the West, like religion seems kind of stagnant, maybe even declining. And so there's been a lot of maybe news articles, things like that, about like you know, religion is dying in the world. Well, this Pew study was kind of interesting because it, it showed in that argument, like actually the opposite is happening. So the world in 2050 is going to be a much more religious world than the world in 2018. 
It's like, well, why is that? There's a, a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that religious people have much more children than non-religious people. So then you start factoring in, well, what percentage of children maintain the religion of their parents? You start doing the math, and right now it's probably the least religious time in the past 50 or 60 years, and it's going to be the least religious time in the next 100 years, just kind of how the ebb and flow of things. So the, the world of our children and grandchildren is going to be a religious place, um, but mm -hmm. Islam will be a, a big part of that kind of religious worldview in a way that it, it probably wasn't for our grandparents. Yeah, and in the least religious parts of the world, which is like Europe, um, they have negative growth rates, and you, you study it like Germany or something, where it's like the growth rate, like it's getting smaller there, or whatever you'd say. So, but then you look at like Indonesia or India or you know some of those countries, and it's like everyone has twelve kids. You know, it's like it's crazy. So you get the point. Um, all right, so you're probably familiar with the five pillars of Islam, or Islam rather. Um, and I guess what I would say about some of this is like there's a lot of this that I think is is great, and I think it's helpful. Um, from like a discipline standpoint, we just did a discipline series and these are all disciplines. You know, some of these are good, some of them are maybe not, but um, it's the same thing I feel about when I, you know, I'm around a Jewish friend who's Orthodox and the things they do and how disciplined they are, um, I'm, I respect it, you know, and I think it, it does serve a purpose. And so uh, here you have to write down some of these words and I will mispronounce them, I'm sure, but uh, the Shahada is de to declare one's faith in God and belief in Muhammad. Alright, and so that is kind of number one. You'll see it over on the side, the faith, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and, and the hajj, which was that little square. Um, the salat is to pray five times a day, and that is going to be like if you're ever anywhere where Islam is a big deal. So I think the first time I'd ever been somewhere was in uh, Istanbul, Turkey, and the little prayer bells, or the little prayer, call to prayer, I should say, goes off five times a day there. And so uh, Istanbul is interesting because it's right at the nexus of really, you know, Europe or in some ways the West and the Middle East. And so it is literally a bridge between the two. And so there are you know, cathedrals and then there are mosques like in the same city. So it's pretty interesting. But the, the call to prayer is five times a day, dawn, noon, afternoon, sunset, evening. I'm sure you've seen that in movies or TV shows or things like that. Uh, the zakat is to give to those in need. So not, not a bad thing, right? Okay, this is one of the five pillars. Uh, the, the psalm <laughs> is to fast during Ramadan. And uh, Ramadan is the ninth month of the Muslim year during which strict fasting is observed from sunrise to sunset. Uh, Ramadan does change because it's like a lunar calendar. So it's not like it's always in May or it's always in June. I think this coming year it'll be like May to June. It's a month. But it is, again, it's a lunar month, so it's... It's not like it's Christmas. It's not always December, so it changes. Um, but I'm sure you all know people that during medical school, they, they celebrate Ramadan and they're fasting and things like that. Okay, it's an entire month. Uh, and then the Hajj is to make a pilgrimage to Mecca at least one time during a person's lifetime if the person is able. Okay, and that's where they'll, they'll walk around in that area. You've probably seen that. Okay. And because I'm not an expert on this, is that supposed to be where... What happened in, in, in the Hajj? And if you don't... I mean, that... In, in that little cube. See, this is bad. I shouldn't say this on recording. I'll cover this. It's uh, something important to do with the life of Muhammad. I know the Dome of the Rock is where they think Muhammad ascended. Uh, but, I don't know. That's yeah. where, I mean, obviously Mecca is where he's from. Yeah. That's where the, the box is. Well, we'll get back to you. It's probably written on that slide if anyone can read it. Okay. I can't. Actually, Lauren's trying to. 
says if you're financially and physically able. Yeah, it actually doesn't say so. Yeah. So sort of similar to like an Orthodox Jew, like traveling to like the West Wall or whatever, the Wailing Wall and looking at that. So, all right, so here are our questions. We've done these now a couple weeks. You're probably familiar with these. We're going to look at origin, meaning, identity, morality, and destiny. And we're just going to kind of bang those out. I did kind of intersperse some videos to maybe have some discussion as we go through this, which I think will help. All right, so let's look at origin. So according to Islam, uh, Allah created the universe uh, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. So ex nihilo. And all cr creatures are responsible to him. However, the world is a closed system insofar as nothing happens in the world outside of his divine decrees. Okay. And to be fair, like not that different from Christianity. Okay. Different name for God, but really pretty much the same. So is that true? Well, we've said this about Christianity, but the best evidence from science and philosophy demonstrate that the universe began to exist at a point in the distant past. So same as Christianity. Is this good? Well, we see uh, in their scripture, and it is from Surah 3, verse 59 from the Quran. And so, like, I guess the chapters are surahs instead of chapters, but uh, the words there, you know, in terms of how he created it was, he created him from dust, then said to him, be, and he was. So, obviously, like, really similar to what we see in Genesis. Same kind of answer. Beautiful. Uh, God is a creator and owner of the universe, and nothing happens within it that would be outside of his plan. And so the word for this is, is a cater. Uh, and this word means fate or like predestination. Okay, so the word Q-A-D-R. And so basically it's the idea that things are determined. So again, like depending on how you think about God, Christian God, it's not really that different. Okay, there's a little bit of different twist on it that we'll get to in, in the sense that um, doesn't really allow a whole lot for maybe free will. It's sort of almost more like a pure understanding of naturalism where it's cause and effect and everything's predetermined, it's sort of like that, but from a religious standpoint where it's is that God is, is sovereign, we would agree with that, but it's almost like that things are sort of predetermined, okay, and that's your fate, or it's predestined to happen in that way. Um, but I would say in general, and I think you're probably getting a sense of this, is the origin is pretty similar. So it comes basically from the same place, and I don't think we disagree with a whole lot of it. Okay, so Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's effectively what uh, a Muslim would say, and they would agree with us on that. Okay, and to, to push that even further, we've been in agreement on this for hundreds of years. Okay, so there's a whole other conversation about uh, that Muslims at that time were really ahead of the game in terms of science, and it's really Muslims that kind of helped bring back a lot of knowledge that had been lost, and so knowledge had been lost from the Greek civilization, Roman civilization. Uh, it was Muslims that brought a lot of that back and understood a lot of mathematic uh, concepts. Um, there's even a, a, a concept that uh, William Lane Craig uses from Al-Ghazali, who was a Muslim kind of philosopher, and so a lot of great things with, with that group and what they were doing. And Anyway, alright, so we'll move on to meaning. Alright, so this is where it starts to, to d uh, divert a little bit. Uh, a devout Muslim is grateful to Allah for providing the opportunity to serve Him and will strive to follow the divine instructions, or the Quran, in even the smallest part of life. Okay, so the Quran is kind of the highest and greatest, okay, and that's what they're going to uh, to kind of hold up. Is this uh, meaning true, good, and beautiful? Well, true, Islam de uh, demands nothing less than everything, okay, and so it is that you have to follow every single rule, and I think in that way it starts to become a little bit more like uh, Judaism or like a Christian legalism, 
where it is about following every little thing, that 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 matters or that somehow saves you. And that's sort of the meaning of your life, that you follow every little thing. Just like a Jew would wake up and follow, you know, the 630 laws, uh, a, a true Muslim would do the same thing, both with their five pillars, but also with every little command, and they kind of hang on those commands. Okay. Uh, good. The will of Allah, and that's your blank, will of Allah, can always o- override all the good works a person may have accumulated. The weight of the obligations and their consequences are so profound they may not produce joy. And so there is to say that when you read through the um, Quran, and I think William Lane Craig will say this later, is, is that there's no guarantee that doing good things will make a difference. That Allah, sort of like you think of like a, a God from like Greek times, that if they decide they want to be nice today, they'll be nice. If they want to decide they'll be mean today, they'll be mean. There's no sense of like guarantee or assurance. It's sort of like, well, maybe he will, maybe he won't, but just keep your nose down and do your best, uh, which is a little bit depressing, I think. And it's hard to feel joy in a system like that where you can do everything and still not be assured of, of anything. Um, so then is this beautiful. Islam is a closed system that ultimately puts humans in a bind of personal accountability uh, and divine determinism. And so it, I don't know, it's just it's sort of one of these patterns. It's sort of the same pattern that like Paul talks about of, you know, you're trying to do the best you can, but you know, you're going to fail at it. And so even the best you know, Muslim is going to fail at it. Even the best Orthodox Jew is going to fail at it. So it is a system that doesn't seem to kind of remedy itself a little bit. So in Hebrews 6, it says, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And so obviously we have assurance. And we'll talk about this when we get down to the death section, is that so one thing about Christianity is we have assurance and we have hope and we have a promise that we can count on. It seems like with Muslims they don't necessarily have that because there's like a little bit more sort of a doubt. And it's certainly it's the will of Allah and it's to hold him up and say, well, ultimately it's his decision, okay, um, but it's a little bit disconcerting. All right, so here's a great question, and this is a common one. Um, and I think people would say, it's like, are we worshiping the same God? Is, is Allah... And the God of Christianity, Yahweh, or whatever you want to say, is that the same God? I think more and more people would want to say, of course it's the same God. We worship the same God. We're good. It's the thing everybody wants to say is like, we worship the same God. There's just one God, and I'm God. You know, I mean, whatever, you know, people want to say, like, okay, you know. Uh, But is it the same God? I think it's important. And it's one thing to say to someone who's Muslim, who's a friend, to say, we worship the same sort of God. That's different than saying we worship the same God, you know. And I think you got to be careful about wanting to kind of appeal to someone on, on the similarity of things, but then also at the same time give up some of the truth of God. Uh, so here's a video. Um, this is, uh, what is his name? It's Qureshi, but... Thank you. Yeah, you guys are so smart. So he wrote a, a book called um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, right? Okay, he has since passed away. He had stomach cancer passed away last year. It's really sad, but super well-spoken guy, and he was Muslim, and now, or he was Christian, and so uh, I think he's got a great perspective on it. So we're going to listen to what he has to say about this question. Yep, I knew it was going to do that. I get a lot of questions about Islam and Christianity, and I'm hoping to answer a few of the most common ones today. 
One of the most common questions I get is whether Allah and the God of Christianity are the same. It's an interesting question because we believe as monotheists that there is only one God. And so the one God who exists, who created all people, is listening to all people when they pray. Uh, he knows who they are by name. He, he designed them. And so when people pray, no matter to whom they're praying, there is one God who is listening. But is that one God the Islamic conception or the Christian conception? Now here's the point that I want to make. The way Islam teaches God's character, his being, is very different from that of Christianity. Of course, the Christian God is triune. The Christian God is a father, an absolutely perfectly loving father. The Christian God is willing to enter into this world and suffer alongside his creation. The Christian God is willing to forgive us of all our sins by paying the penalty himself. In all of these ways, he is very different from the Muslim God. The Muslim God is transcendent, in fact, unknowable. Chapter 5 of the Quran says that he remains behind a veil, as if it were, and it's not meet for him to enter into this world or to be made known. So the Christian God and the Muslim God have very different characteristics. They do different things. They offer different paths. The Christian God says, believe in him, follow him, and he will take our sins upon himself. The Muslim God gives us rules to follow and laws to complete in order for us to have a chance at earning his grace and mercy. These are two very different gods in the way they are taught. But thankfully, there is only one God. And so when a Muslim or a Christian cries out for God to reveal himself, God is gracious and he answers as he answered me. Okay, we'll kind of come back to that same sort of question here later as well from a different person. All right, so identity, this question of who am I? Uh, according to Islam, human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. However, their high standing also brings with it the responsibility to live up to God's standards. All right, so is this true, good, and beautiful? Uh, true, we are God's representatives on earth higher than any other living creature. I think we agree with that. I think that bears out in scriptures. Uh, is, it, is it good? Our obligation uh, is to live up to our standing and remain pure, the stakes of which are our eternal salvation. Um, so I think where it would be different, we agree. We agree that you know Christians, followers of Christ, um, that there are good things that come from that. Okay, that, that being filled with the Spirit, that we're sanctified, that we are better, but that's not what decides whether we're saved. Um, and so I think that that would be where the difference is. I think the other kind of like complicated thing about Islam is, is that those good things are what save you, but maybe they won't. There is that kind of like that little extra kind of complicated bit there, which is not that difference from Judaism. Um, and it's really, it's like, well, how do you, when you have very strict rules that you must follow, and that's the way your religion is forged, then since everyone fails, where do you draw the line on that? And so you're kind of just left to say, well, God is just and he'll decide, which is, which is kind of difficult. Um, and then is it beautiful? Well, faith places the Muslim on the straight path. Uh, acts demonstrate commitment and faithfulness. And you can say that it brings order to lives. And so I don't think this is a bad identity. I mean, to say that, that God is sovereign, that humans are his greatest creation but that we still have a responsibility to, to worship God or to honor God with our lives. Like, I actually agree with everything I just said. 
I think it's still it's just like a slightly different twist between the two religions. Um, and you could you could argue is is that and you see this in a fundamentalist Christian group or you see this in like anything that's super fundamental um, that it, yeah it brings order to life but it also brings a certain unhealthy level of um, overcommitment or hyper focus or however you want to say that and so obviously you see it in Islam where you know just a fanatical commitment to certain things can can be problematic okay um, and it's when other things get mixed into it that aren't necessarily according to the Quran or aren't biblical or whatever but it definitely brings order to lives um, you know having something to to ascribe to to wake up to every day it's interesting because I know David's really into like self-help and motivational books and really like one of the, the most common things in all those books is order and it's being organized and that's the the secret to success if anything is is that well the people that are most successful they have a pattern for their day and they set goals every day and, and they abide by them so it's no wonder that you see in a religion like this that is is effective in the way that it is that well five times a day you're going to do this and here are the five things you're going to do and it almost reads a little bit like a self-help novel a little bit like here are the five things you need to be to be successful it's like, well, okay Stephen Covey had seven things you know I mean it's it's just it's interesting so it does follow and Judaism is the same way and my biggest critique maybe of Christianity is that because we don't want to be legalist we don't want to put any restrictions or have anything in, in place to be like strategic about it's like ah, we'll just fill it out but no organization on earth is successful when they're like that I oh, will just figure it out today we'll just we'll do whatever you know so I, I think you have to fight against thinking that doing things in a disciplined way is what saves you but it's also kind of realistically the way in which you become more sanctified you know Paul didn't just like wake up and be like ah maybe I'll like write a letter to Philemon you know like it was you know something that he had to work at and, and make goals for all right so it's a Bible verse first Timothy uh, uh, 1 16 but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life okay so obviously we talk about these rules and how that's part of a uh, Muslim's identity but our identity is is that it's not rules that save us and it's not disciplines that save us it's the mercy of Jesus and the mercy of God that saves us and that it's it glorifies God to be able to show his mercy through our lives and so it's a little bit of a twist there okay All right, so let's look at morality in uh, Islam morality right and wrong are based on the teachings of the Quran okay not that different from in Christianity right and wrong are really based on the character of God, but those you know teachings can be found in in the Christian Bible. Okay, so is this true? Well, follow all of Allah's commands and accept whatever He sends our way. Uh, that would be kind of the way of in interpreting this. And the, and the term is the bila kaifa. Okay, this just means without asking why. And uh, you know, and I'm sorry I keep saying this over and over and over. Um, but I think that's that's kind of true of how we're supposed to be. I mean, it's, we, we, we're able to understand God's will for us uh, in different ways, but certainly through the Bible. And uh, I don't know if we're really called to, to accept that without asking why necessarily, but sort of. Um, but there is a term for it that they use, without asking why. And so you'll see that in a lot of religions. It's like just kind of accept it, do it as it is. Is this good? Well, there's no ambiguity as to what is right and wrong, as it has been spelled out in the Quran, and we accept whatever happens. Okay, um, 
I think that can be good if it's true and if it is what it says it is. You know, so if these are actually the words of God, that's good. If it's the words of a man that was writing these things, then it's not good, obviously. Um, and so William and Craig will talk about this in a little bit about some of the historical inaccuracies in the Quran. And you can go, kind of go into some of those things if you really want to study that. Um, and maybe to, to point at why maybe it shouldn't be believed, or maybe in the life of Muhammad you see some things that kind of suggest, well, I don't know about that. Um, but to, to a Muslim, it's actually kind of nice and cut and dry from a morality standpoint. So there's really no gray. It's, it's all black and white. You either follow it without questioning it, be la kafa, or you, you don't, right? And then you're sort of cut off. Um, is it beautiful? Your actions and the possibility of Allah's grace based on your actions, become your only motivator for morality. Okay. Um, in First Peter, we actually use this verse when, we, when I did naturalism, but, but, as he called you, uh, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So in terms of like morality, I guess, maybe I'll stop before we go into this. How do you see Christian... Morality is different from what we just talked about here. Like, what are these elements would you say are different? And I don't know if that's an easy question or not. I think at a fundamental level, of course, we don't always live holy, right? Um, but when there is holiness in our lives, ideally we should, uh, the Christian should be holy because they're saved, right? And the the Muslim is holy in order to be saved, right? So there, it's, a, it's like a difference in order. So um, mm. if, a, if a Christian, uh, the moral and holy acts of a Christian are never to, to earn God's love or favor, um, they're, they're already given to us as a gift of grace and then I, I guess like Kyle said the Muslim I guess in the back of your mind there's this kind of creeping thought of like have I done enough um, and to uh, at least to like Protestant evangelical you know faith and grace theology that, that's not the, the question the answer is of course you haven't done enough and that's the whole point you can't that's what the cross is about Unfortunately, like sometimes that presents itself in a way that seems like you're not as devoted to God. It's kind of like, like in a dating relationship, like when you're still trying to earn that relationship, you're maybe like your best version of yourself. And then once you're married, you kind of get like, you know, lazy about certain things. It kind of makes me feel like, I mean, and I it, it's hard because I don't feel like the world sometimes, if they're looking at the two, would say like that Christians really love God and want to do these things out of their because out of their love for Him or whatever. And they would look at a Muslim and be like, "Well, they're like really working hard." You know what I mean? It's kind of like it's it's interesting to think about it that way. So the two great human motivators are love and fear, mm -hmm. and sometimes. Fear can kind of can be a great yeah, I think that's right. So we've, I think we've lost kind of like the fear of the Lord in mm -hmm. our culture, um, but in Islamic culture has not. You know, I think they appropriately fear God, and, mm -hmm. and in some ways that's healthy. Hmm. All right. Well, let me jump into the video, and then we'll 
come back. We've got Destiny. One more video, and then I, I'd like to kind of shut this off and just talk a little bit about it. All right, so uh, this is a little excerpt from a William Lane Craig. He's at like a little school, and, and, a, and a, I think a Muslim guy is asking him a question, but I just took off the last minute. And it's a question I think is interesting is, uh, God should be the greatest possible being. It's a real common thing. I think, um, you know, Piper talks about that, and that if God is omni-everything, he should be the greatest possible being. That's what God really is. And so does Allah, or how we understand Allah from the Quran, does that represent the greatest possible being? And this is what he has to say about that. Oh, I think this is like the long clip. Um, I'd like to suggest that um, with these arguments, that especially the, um, the ontological argument, the special case that you... No effect whatsoever. On his divine nature, indeed, I was. All right, so I had a different clip, and this is not it, but I'm just going to start it from here. Sorry. A being is greater who has the ability to take on a human nature and be incarnate as a human being. Now, where my critique of the Muslim concept of God would come in at this point is that I think that the Muslim concept of God is not the greatest conceivable being. I would, in, and I have. Pre criticize the Muslim concept of God precisely because it isn't the greatest concept. And in what way would I say that? I think the greatest conceivable being would be an all-loving being. His, his love would be unconditional, impartial, and universal. And this is the kind of love that Jesus revealed of our Heavenly Father. By contrast, the God of the Quran is partial. His love is conditional, you have to earn it, and it is uh, not uh, universal. He does not love sinners. Over and over again, the Quran says God loves not the unbelievers. He loves not sinners. He loves not the hard neck. He only loves believers. And so for that reason, I couldn't be a Muslim. I think that the concept of God in Islam is morally inadequate. Okay, so interesting perspective. All right, so let's jump into destiny. All right, so death is a time of transition between this life and our eternal state, which will consist of either paradise or hell. All right, so pretty similar, as I've said all night. True, uh, all humans will be judged based on deeds, both good and evil. Similar, you know, to how we think it's going to happen. Uh, is it good? Well, this is a little different. Um, there is no assurance. And that's your blank, no assurance of Allah's grace as to say there uh, was would be to know the will of Allah. Okay, so if you said, well, this person's going to be saying, well, it would be to say that you would know the will of Allah, which is a shirk. Um, so the no assurance line, I, I kind of underline that because it reminds me of Blessed Assurance and that song and, and that concept. Um, so definitely a different concept. Uh, is it beautiful? Uh, this is where it's not beautiful and where I think it's troubling is that even in paradise, one will not be able to reside with Allah, uh, which for me is, is troubling. And it's, you know, it's, it's sort of deeply at odds with what I understand of heaven. So, um, and not something that's like that beautiful to me. So, again, lots of shared things and truths and, and yet some of it is, is certainly different. Um, and from John, we know, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Um, so it's certainly not what Jesus has suggested to us. 
And I think that's maybe where, you know, I wish I, you know, had the opportunity to kind of dive into some of the other things about a lot of this is the fact that Jesus is in the Quran and Jesus is spoken about by Muhammad. And so you have that in a lot of other religions, religions that come after Christianity. Um, Baha'i is one of them that does a similar thing where they take, and, and, and Mormonism is too, where they take kind of teachings of other people, but they sort of undo teachings by those people. So it's like, well, Jesus said he was a son of God. Well, we don't think he really said that, you know, or it says Jesus was crucified. Well, we don't think he was crucified. They just thought he was, you know. So sort of you have to undo certain things to kind of take away the power that this person claimed to have. Um, and so each of those religions that come after it, well, Jesus was a great teacher. He's a prophet, but he's not the greatest prophet. Um, and so it does, I think, from a logical standpoint, seem to be like, well, it just seems like you're just kind of putting a cap on this so that you can have your thing. And we've seen it now three or four times, you know, majorly of religions sort of sprouting off. And I'm sure to a Jew, that's what Christianity feels like. The only difference is, is that Judaism has spoken of the Messiah that Jesus came as, you know, and they're still waiting on him. But I think there's certainly more fulfillment in there, whereas Jesus seemed to be the end fulfillment. There didn't seem to be a need for anything else. Um, so let's, uh, let's watch this video. We'll talk a little bit, and uh, then we'll wrap. So here is your summary. You've got all these. You don't need to see this, but pretty interesting, I think. I think it's pretty interesting that it's super similar in terms of these five questions. Lots of other little differences, but at its core, pretty similar. All right, so how should Christians share the, their faith with Muslims? I think that's interesting. I don't know, has anyone ever sat down and studied the Bible with a Muslim at all or tried to have those conversations? I, mean, I don't think it's easy. I've not been successful at it. Um, we helped a family come over from Syria and at no point had any like deep comment. You know, they don't speak English, so how could you? Um, but very deeply engrossed in, in that religion and immediately welcomed by that religion. And one of their friends who was there started talking to me and sent me a couple videos. And I was just like, oh, where do I even begin? You know, he sent me like an hour and a half video of this guy talking about issues with Christianity. And I was just like, uh, I don't know. So obviously that sort of thing takes a lot of time. We sat with Sam and tried to speak with him and it, it seemed like it was going like a really fruitful direction and then just sort of stopped, you know? And so I, I think um, like Koresh, or I can't think of his name, just brutalizing it, but uh, what he said is that when, when, you know, Muslims pray to God, they're praying to the same God, just doing it in a different conception, different way. And so you have to have faith that if their heart's open to it, that God will work through that. All right, so I sort of cut the podcast a little bit early. There was a video that we showed on how to share the gospel with Muslim friends, and it was hard to hear, so I went ahead and cut that. So it sort of ended suddenly, let's say. We got through the five questions. I think we got through a lot of good stuff. We did have more discussion at the end, and what I'll just echo is what I said at the very beginning. I'm not uh, an expert on comparative religions. I'm not an expert on... Islam. So there's a couple little details in there that if you're Islamic, you'd say, well, what the heck do you know about Islam? Uh, and I understand. I get that. Um, this is information sharing from a book called The Universe Next Door on how these questions would be answered by someone of this faith. And to be fair, trying to be respectful of those that are, that are Muslims that have these faith beliefs and then trying to contrast them to what we know certainly much better about Christianity and what the differences might would be. And uh, I think, as William Lane Craig said in that video, is I think the difference really comes down to Jesus and the character of Jesus, and that he's a stumbling block, it says, for the Jews and for the Gentiles alike. I think he's a stumbling block for a Muslim as well. 
depending on what you believe about Jesus, that is, uh, I think, really the most important question. He sort of sits in the middle of both Judaism and Islam. And, uh, of course, Jesus is the main character of Christianity, you could say. And so I think understanding that better is really the, the big question. Is who is Jesus? Is he, is he who he said he was? And I think really as you're trying to think through these religions, that's the question that you have to answer, and certainly some answer it differently. So I hope that landed. hope this all comes across well, and I'd like to have more conversations about it. Next week we'll be back together with a look at postmodernism, something almost entirely different from uh, Islam or from Christianity, but a very, very prevalent worldview indeed. I hope you're having a great week. I hope you've gotten something out of these podcasts. Of course, if you're in the Memphis area on a Monday night, we'd love for you to come spend time with us. And uh, that's all we have for this week. And so we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the MDDDS podcast. Good night.